You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're gonna do is you're gonna go to adameve.com, you're gonna go to checkout, and you're gonna type in darkpod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout, and you're gonna get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off, and then you're gonna get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to adameve.com and take advantage of it right now. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. 
I want to let you know all about a good friend of mine and somebody who I think you should all get to know. If you are somebody who is looking for a companionship, a friendship, or romance, I want to let you know about my inclusive provider friend, Haley Jade. Haley Jade is a 30-year-old disabled bisexual offering online companionship for friends or romance. They have been published in Vice and HuffPost, and they specialize in working with disabled clients and are disabled themselves. Their online services start at $50 Canadian dollars, and they can be found on Twitter at Sexy Life Coach, Instagram at Sexy Life Coach, and you can book them via their website, Haley Jade, that's H-A-Y-L-E-Y-J-A-D-E dot C-H, to book on their website. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. If you're looking for a fun, sexy, romantic companion who specializes in disabled clients, Haley Jade is the one for you. Book them now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability story. I'm, of course, your disabled Dick Smith. Your number one queer cripple, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the episode started today. First things first, I want to give a shout out to one of the Patreons who keeps a bright light shining on this show. And I want to thank them for their support. So I want to give a shout out, an awkward, sexy shout out to my new friend, Indigo Bear, who pledged $1 a month and headed over to patreon.com slash disability after dark and pledge one dollar a month to keep the show going and because of that they will get an awkward shout out which is indigo bear they call me bear in a chair so welcome to the club also thank you for your pledge if you want to pledge as little as one dollar a month or as much as five dollar a month or more you can go to patreon.com slash disability after dark and you'll get the show one day early and ad-free. What's cooler than that? So thank you very much for your pledge. Before we get to the story that I want to shine a light on today, I want to also give a little shout-out for some new kinds of stories that I'm looking for. You've heard me talk a little bit about my experience with care on the show and what it means to receive care as a disabled person on the show. And now I'd like to flip the tables a bit and do a couple episodes where I'm talking specifically to people who provided care. And I want to know what that experience was like for them. I want to know some of the challenges in providing care. I want to know some of the relationships you built with disabled people while providing care. I want to know what your training was like. I want to learn from the other side what care is like and some of the things that we don't hear about caregiving that would be helpful for those of us living with disabilities when hiring somebody to know, when wanting to become caregivers to know, all that kind of stuff. So if if you are somebody who has provided personal care to a disabled person, I would love to invite you on the show to tell your story. If you want to share your story, you can head over to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com, pop me an email telling me a little bit about your care experience, and we'll put it in a little series that we do here 
every couple episodes on the show, we'll, we'll talk to a new caregiver. I think that would be a really fun experience, and I'd love to chat with you. So if you want to shine a light on your caregiving time, send me an email. But now, on with the show. The guest I'm going to have today and the story we're going to share today was really, really fascinating to me. And I was really, really glad that I got to sit down with this guest today because it's something that I never thought about. I was reached out to by intersectional birth worker Amy Miller a few months ago who said, I love your show, I love what you're doing, and I want to be on your podcast. And I was like, that's amazing because I had never thought about what it would be, what it would be like to be a birth worker and to have disabilities. So we talked to her about why she wanted to become an intersectional birth worker, how her disabilities play a role in her being a parent. We talked to her about some of the awful things doctors have said to her about being a parent and 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 how that played a role in what she does now, how she helps people all over the world virtually give birth or get ready to give birth. And all the ways her disability enhances her experience as a birth worker. She's one of the first disabled birth workers that I've ever spoken with. So I thought it was really cool to have her on the show. And I certainly hope you enjoy this one. So without further ado, here's my interview with intersectional birth worker, Amy Miller. Right here on Disability After Dark. Amy Miller, hello. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to have you, and I really appreciate you being here because you and I have been wanting to do this since May, and we're now recording this like the end of August, so I'm glad that we're finally doing it. Life is so unpredictable with a disability, honestly. It really is. Oh, yeah, without question. It's like one of the most unpredictable. Like, I can't even tell you how many emails I send today that are like, I want to do this, but I'm having an IBS flare. I'm having a pain flare. I'm having some kind of flare. That means I can't. So thanks. Bye. Yeah, totally. Out of spoons. (laughs) Yeah, just completely, like, completely. I'm so glad we're finally sitting down to do this because you reached out to me saying you wanted to talk about your experience as being disabled, but not only being disabled, also being a a disabled intersectional birth worker. Like, there's so much stuff we, we can chat about here and I'm so excited but before we do all that can you introduce yourself tell us a little bit about you tell us what your disabilities are and how they impact your day today yeah so um, I'm Amy like we said Um, I am a doula and I'm also a mother to a toddler who is two uh, two years old and also has a disability Um, I live with my partner and yeah we uh we live a pretty standard life. Um, I was born disabled. I have multiple conditions. Um, my main ones being Marfan syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So I have two connective tissue disorders, which is um, actually quite rare. And with that comes an underlying um, list of other disorders such as postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, um, gastroparesis, um, trouble with my heart and my eyes and my joints, everything like that. So um, my day-to-day life really, it, it, it varies. Like some days, for yesterday, for example, I was playing with my family in a park 
and I was running around for the first time in like seven months. Um, but before that, I was like the day before I was using a wheelchair. Um, today I'm using forearm crutches. So, um, in terms of like assistive devices and, and mobility, it kind of varies day to day. And I, I pick and choose based on what my body feels like. Um, and I, I, I have a unique perspective because I am both a caretaker and somebody that um, receives care from um, home care attendants and yep. family members and friends as well. So I think it's, it's kind of cool because not a lot of people believe that those two can like coexist together. You know what I mean? Which two? Like being a caretaker, but also needing care yourself. Like yeah, yeah. Definitely for sure, and people definitely don't believe that you can do both. And I mean, you you sound like you're a perfect example of the fact that hey, I can, I do, and here's here's my story. So so, what does it feel like needing care from someone else and also being caretaker? Like how does how do you do you compartmentalize those two worlds together or do you like, do, do it, they collide? It's hard, you know? Um, and I think like internalized ableism plays a huge part in that. I feel like, especially if I'm around other people, I have to like be in this certain role when I'm taking care of my son. And if I'm not able to like chase after him or like pick him up or something that they'll judge me. And so I've really had to um, think hard about it and like, and say, it's okay for me to not be able to go out alone with my son and like need a support person with me. Yeah. It doesn't change our bond at all. So um, yeah, it's definitely challenging at times, but it it's possible to um, have both. Was that a hard place to get to where you like had to realize that it didn't change your bond. It didn't change the fact that you were his mom, regardless. Like it didn't change that at all for you. Did it, how did it, how did you get there? Um, well, I spent almost six months this year in the hospital. Wow, and it was six months in the hospital. Like in total, I've had three different long hospital stays, and yeah, during- because you and I connected. Like you and I connected. We were gonna do it, and then I was in the hospital, and then. You yeah. were in the hospital, and so like together we were, ch- we've been we've been seriously trying to do this since like May. So, <laughs> like wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and like during that time, I had to rely on my support people, um, to care for my son, and uh, while I was caring for myself and and being taken care of by nurses and doctors and and being in a place where I needed to be at that time. So I think that that, that experience um, got me to like where I am in this moment. Yeah. How does your, how does your son, obviously your other partner is there. So like, but how does your son take to being like having caregivers around for you? Does he like, is he at a place as a toddler where he sort of gets that that's happening? Does he understand that yet? Yeah, um, 
he has like a really strong presence with my in-laws so they played like a huge role in his care and then my close friends as well and he's used to them being around yeah and, um and stepping in like as i said earlier i do need that support so um he's used to having like other people being hands-on with him and involved and um but he like there was that that separation anxiety and the 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 sadness and the fears that came with it that were still working through with me being gone for so long yeah did you struggle with and i think i asked this later in our questions but i want to ask you now because it's on the top of my mind do you have like do you have complicated feelings around motherhood and being having so many disabilities to contend with like what are your feelings about that as a mom um i think i had a really like skewed perception of that growing up um no one really believed that this was something that would be possible for me. And I yeah. didn't have any examples of this in my life ever. I never saw like another disabled parent um, or somebody with, with any of the conditions that I have um, parenting. I didn't know anybody. So, you know, and, and, and doctors, they weren't really supportive and super ableist and, um, I had some really horrific experiences um, where I was like medically pushed into like a termination of pregnancy um, wow. that, I, that I, uh, I I didn't want that to happen, but nobody around me supported me being disabled and having a child and um, they would like there's scare tactics involved saying you know like um this isn't possible for you and your child will die and you will die and, and of course there's risks like there's so many risks but there's risk with any pregnancy regardless of whether or not you have a disability yeah absolutely and and it's it, it is possible I, I know so many wonderful families now um but yeah and 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 even for myself i I, I dreamed about that, but I was like, that's just like so far fetched. Like it just doesn't happen for for people yeah. like me. For, yeah, yeah, for people like us. We don't get to be parents yeah. because yeah. we can barely take care of ourselves. So how can we take yeah. care of a child? Exactly. And my son is very well taken care of for and I and I feel like proud in the care that I provide for him. And so um now I just I don't feel any shame around that or or, or anything. I, I am very, very proud to be both disabled and a, a parent and a mother now. Good. I mean, I, I'm really happy to hear that because I've spoken to, I don't know if you know Kat Nance. I don't. She lives, I don't think she lives too far from you. Maybe not in Barrie, but pretty, pretty close. I think so. She's, she's a mom with a, with a, two-year-old maybe maybe younger she has disabilities too and she's been on the show a couple of times when we're done this i'd love to connect you with her because i feel like yeah, that'd be amazing my son's like the same age so <laughs> i feel like you would have a lot to say uh let me just pull out my questions and pretend to be professional because <laughs> i'm supposed to know what i'm doing here hang on one second i don't remember what i just said to you hold on this is so cool and I'm not cutting this out because why would I? 
Yeah. Uh, uh, where are my questions? Where here they are? Maybe yeah, here they are. Um. So tell me a little bit more about what brought you to wanting to be an intersectional birth worker, and can you describe for me in detail what how your disability plays a role in that for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely my own experiences and um, seeing those gaps that are there in the healthcare system and um, the reproductive justice system. Um, I, I experienced like so, so much that I just shouldn't have gone through. Like it was so preventable. And I feel like if people were more informed that, um, that like a big change could happen. So for me, a large part of my work is educating other birth workers um, so that they can support disabled clients as well. But um, for me personally, I think that my lived experiences as a disabled person really benefits me in the work that I do. And I think that some people would assume that my disability would hinder me from doing this type of work, um, but it actually doesn't. I'm, I'm really open with my clients about what my abilities are and what I provide and how I support. And I don't, um, I don't break any of my own boundaries, but um, I do feel good about the support that I give. And um, physically, I've kind of refined things in a way that works for me in the sense that I will um, coach partners into being like the hands-on physical support. All the stuff that you might not be able to physically do that day, you can be like, hey, partner, jump in there and do what I'm telling you. Yeah. (laughs) 40 minutes um yeah so and then also offering virtual support too so i support people all over the world which is really cool wow yeah and like from my bed (laughs) (laughs) that's really that's super awesome because i'll be honest when i first heard when you had first contacted me my first thought was oh oh like a disabled doula how do you how do you do that? And I remember being like, I remember picturing like, okay, are they in their wheelchair, like giving, helping a person give birth? Like what my brain couldn't, couldn't picture that, which shows you just how far like our, our ableist, our ableist views go because we don't have any role models of people in wheelchairs doing that. So, or people with, you know, complex disabilities doing that. So our, our brains can't compute. Yeah. I mean, like, usually for the most part, hospitals are fairly accessible. And for homes, I mean, it is true that a lot of the homes I go into are not accessible. So that I would have to pick and choose, like, is this a day where I'm able to walk the stairs into this person's house? Is this a house I can access at all? Um, Is this 
like a virtual support scenario kind of thing. And then it just leads back to like virtual support is my like favorite thing to do right now. <laughs> yeah, because you don't really have, you don't have to worry as much and you can provide support yeah. from the comfort of your bed, which I think is great. Yeah. And I love that part for you because, because. Me too. <laughs> who doesn't want to do their job from bed? That's great. <laughs> Um. Uh, so can you kind of go into more detail about what an intersectional birth worker would do? Like, do you so do you help in the in the birthing part, or are you just there for like pre-birth support? So, um, I have trained to support um, loss, abortion, um, birth postpartum, uh, breast and chest feeding. And um, I really, I really believe in supporting people through all parts of the journey um, and fertility as well. Um, because there's so many factors, there's so many stories, there's so many people. And um, I just like, I feel really passionate about this type of work and uh, especially for those who are disabled, who are going through these things, there's like nothing out there. Yeah. There's no one that looks like them providing support. So yeah, they're constantly in these spaces and I, I'm not, I'm speaking as a, from a completely different life experience, but I understand the feeling of being the only disabled person in the room. Yeah. For a lot of medical stuff, and I can imagine the fear and discomfort of being the only disabled person in the room when you're trying to give birth to a child. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially, like, you can't always control who's in those spaces, and you don't know, um, like, you don't want somebody who who's going to, to come in with really, like, ableist and um, negative viewpoints and make you feel really uncomfortable about the whole situation because that was my experience um and and being uh somebody who who's going through a high risk pregnancy your options are kind of limited in terms of like who is supporting you yeah with with what doctors and so i was reassured constantly that this was like a great doctor but um his but that doesn't mean they're not enablers. Bedside table manners was was terrible. Like he said just terrible things to me. And the first time I I met him, he looked at my partner and said, "Why is she in that thing?" And pointed to my wheelchair. He didn't even uh, talk to me. <laughs> come on! Wow. Yeah. And this is your first meeting with the guy that's supposed to deliver your kid. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> I would roll it out of there and be like, "I'm out. Bye. See you later." But like what would I have done? Yeah. Like what you have? No, you don't have an option. Like you don't, yeah. that sucks. So yeah. you're forced into, first of all, you're told by everybody that you should abort. Yeah. And you're also told once you see the doctor, the very first impression is an ableist thing. And when we found out that my son um, had heart stuff going on, so we assumed he probably has the same condition as me. Um, he, he walked in and goes, well, it's too late to terminate. Oh, Jesus. 
what i can't believe like oh no that's just so i'm literally you can't see this audience but my jaws to the floor like yeah. what it's your child that you that you're and it's growing and you're oh no okay future 28 weeks pregnant or something oh god all right yeah. future OBGYNs, future people that do this work don't future doctors period don't say shit like this to us please yeah. ever please wow wow okay so i mean there's obviously and those experiences too obviously pushed you into this line of work because you know that you want to make a change in that area so that's i'm assuming that that's part of why you you wanted to do it that's absolutely why yeah that's fantastic and i really i commend you because there are so few people doing what you do like you're one of really the first and i know there are more out there obviously but you're one of the first that i've talked to so that's pretty cool um as uh, an intersexual birth worker do you have you had a lot of experience with disabled mothers yes um disabled parents um whether um, they're a birthing parent or they're a partner. Oh, yes, right. Sorry. Better language. Parents, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is kind of like my ideal client. I feel yeah. like that's really where I shine in supporting them. Um, and I'm not saying that I know like everything about every disability. And I would no, of course not. And you. Um, but it's just like that level of understanding that's there. Yep. And it's, I don't only support disabled people, but um, usually people hear about the work that I do and then reach out to me because uh, I support disabled people. Yeah. And it sounds, almost, it sounds also like you have a kinship with these communities because obviously you live it. So you, if they're experiencing feelings of internalized ableism around birth or around their child, you can come in and say, guess what? I felt that too. It's going to pass or it'll change or it'll morph. And, you know, you can get through it together. Here's my experience. Mm -hmm. Totally. So a question I didn't write down is, are you writing a book? And how can we get it paid for? Because people need this. (laughs) Yeah, um, that's actually something that I have been like wanting to do for so many years now and and so many people have brought it up to me and I and I've started it so many times but I just like don't know how to get it started but it's something that I um I definitely want to or like do you want to do a podcast like do you want to have your own because I feel like this kind of stuff is so vital I remember when I was growing up my mom had this big bookshelf in our in my childhood home and with all these books on it. And I remember being like 10 or 11 and there's a book on her shelf from like the 80s that's like, how do you take care of your special needs child? And it's this big blue book and I never looked into it, but I just saw it on our, in our bookshelf. And I remember looking at it thinking, oh, I guess that's how mom like learned how to figure out how to take care of me. And so wouldn't it be amazing if like there was another book for this generation of, for parents written by a disabled person like wouldn't that be fantastic yeah it would be amazing i mean there are a a couple out there but they're um they're fairly 
old, so they're they're pretty outdated and and some of the information in them um, just isn't like correct or like socially acceptable. Um, yeah. So yeah, I definitely think that we need more resources out there for sure. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And if you ever want to start your own show and you need a producer, let me know because I like I just think this topic is so underrepresented in our in discussions of birth that I'm really happy that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's just that. so necessary. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could lay out for us what are some of the biggest myths that you combat around disability and reproductive rights? Well, I would say like from the beginning, people assume that disabled people are like asexual, that we cannot or do not have sex or we're sexual beings. That's just totally incorrect. It's it's so false. Um, I think that people don't even think about disabled parents in discussions at all. Like classes, like prenatal classes, they're not designed for disabled people. They're not designed for high-risk births. They're not designed for, you know, um, people who are using lifts and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. PSWs, nurses. And I think that uh, when I talk so openly about, like, my experiences or um, just, like, straight up facts people are like wow you know I never considered it because for so many people I'm the only disabled person that they know or so they think because disabled like, disability looks like so a wheelchair things but they think it only looks like a chair or like a cane or like exactly some and marker of what it means to be disabled when really we all know that's just not true anymore yeah and so people assume that they're like so far and few of us that these resources aren't needed um but that's just not the case i'm not even talking about physical disabilities like where the supports for people that have other disabilities as well and it's just yeah it's just uh the resources aren't there why do you think the myth of you should you should terminate the pregnancy is so prevalent when it comes to disabled parents Um, well, for one, I think that people are especially scared of people that have genetic disorders, passing down conditions. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like, what is that? Like, why, why do you think that's a bad thing? And, um, I think that there's so much to unpack there. I, I received comments like, you know, people with your condition should not be reproducing. And and even people that have like Marfan syndrome say that themselves. And, and, I, and I believe that that's a very personal choice. Um, but people have very strong opinions about people that have genetic disorders reproducing. And um, there's also that stigma that like, again, we can't be caretakers and also need care ourselves and um like how would i possibly you know 
care for my son if I can't pick him up? Like, yeah, yeah. Like when I think of myself as a father, if I ever have the chance to do that, yeah. Um, I one of the very first things I think in my internalized ableist brain is I'm never gonna be able to pick up my kid. I can I can't even go pee on my own. So why would I? How would I be a good dad? Like that is something that I constantly think about. And I mean, I'm also 36. I've never been in a long-term relationship, so I'm kind of like, well, what what could I offer a child now? Which is horribly ableist, but that unfortunately, because I have, we have no role models, you know, yeah. that's where my brain goes. Yeah, it's so true. And like society has really packed that down on us for forever. Like, we were not allowed to have children back in the day. We were institutionalized. We were murdered. Like, we were not allowed to be parents. <laughs> and we've come a long way, but there's still so much work to do. And when society is constantly reinforcing these toxic um, viewpoints, it's it's really hard to um, to form your own your own um, your own opinions, thoughts, and 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 feelings around that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely can concur with that, and that's that's how I feel about all this stuff. But I think it's really eugenicists to people who are like people like you shouldn't be reproducing like what the fuck are you even saying why would you what would you would you say that to a person of color would you say that to like you know would i mean maybe you would but you shouldn't because it's horrible yeah they definitely do unfortunately that's yeah they do that's, that's just so it's just so horrible do you, and you said you said earlier that you you because of because of zoom and stuff you're able to to coach people all over the world yeah. have you have you experienced people living in third world countries with disabilities trying to have kids i have not no not personally um i feel like i don't i don't know enough about like the supports that uh are available to them I yeah don't know be um be able to help them in the capacity that they need but i definitely know people that would be able to and in that sense i would refer to somebody who might be um a better support just because i mean that's something that's that i'm really curious about how does like i'm a how does like a parent a birthing parent in like somewhere that has really low resources somewhere that has really high poverty how do they what do they do and i'm I'm assuming that it doesn't go super well, but I think if they have more support of disabled people who can support them, whether virtually or in person, they might do better. Yeah, totally. I I absolutely agree. I think um, I think that uh, a lot of people all over the world get really creative in the ways that they adapt to their environment, but. Uh, I, I could definitely see some, some challenges there. In what ways have you been creative in adapting your environment as like a mom and as a disabled person? Like how have you had to adapt? Well, we have stools like all over. 
and I've taught my son how to like get up on things to be able to like change him, brush his teeth, um, have them help me in the kitchen, things like that. Uh, I used a lot of baby carriers and pushed my wheelchair but I could hold him. And um, when he was an infant, instead of carrying him around, I used this bassinet with wheels and I would literally just wheel him all around my house. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, see, this is the stuff that should be in your book, like these kind of resources. Yeah. Parents who want to do this and have no clue what to do like this should be in I just think this kind of stuff is so great yeah I did have a an occupational therapist come in when I was pregnant and she assessed like my living environment and helped make suggestions on how I could better um, set up things to like work with a newborn um, and then I've just adapted on my own over the years yeah I mean I think the adaptation is so valuable and so key and we don't see enough of it. Like I, I, I'm picturing like a documentary on like motherhood and disability. Like there's so much there. There's so much stuff that we yeah. could do. So CBC or like some <laughs> people listening or like Netflix. Let's get on that. <laughs> um, in what ways do you think that maternal health or like parental health? I feel like I should, it should be parental because because people who are not moms have kids uh how do you think parental health should be more accessible um i think it comes down to like the bare bones of it like where are we getting our education from are we getting them from textbooks written by doctors or are we getting them from from real disabled people um what resources are we offering is it accessible what kind of fonts are we using and do we have translators are there um, accessible seating, wide enough doorways, accessible bathrooms, things like that in our in our um, class spaces. Uh, when it comes to um, like home births, how are we setting up the environment? What um, are we making sure that it's free from noise? Are we making sure that it's free from scents? Anything that might be a trigger for somebody. Um, so. I think that it's like really fine tuning the environment is a huge key factor too in making somebody comfortable through that experience um, of birth. Yeah, I think all those things you said are so key. Like I think I think for me as a disabled person, if I was to have a child or help my partner through having a child, like where I live, I have a lift, I have a big enough bed, I have but do I have all the things they need? Maybe not. So, like, I think we just need we need more discussions around that. And I agree with you. Are these are these resources being compiled by doctors, or are they being compiled at least in consultation with a disabled person? Probably not. Yeah, no, it's not, and and that's where there's a lot of problems, and, and it can be dangerous for people. Yeah, yeah. What is the what is the best thing that you heard when you were when you were having discussions from from your community or your family or doctors what is the best thing you heard about you know you as a disabled person having we talked about the worst things they said to you what are some of the best things they said to you um i've heard a lot of like praise about my ability to adapt to like the environment around me 
um, in terms of like caring for my son and um, setting up like educational things for him and and being able to like care for him and and still be sick on my own and um, that's been hard with like hospital stays yep. because I haven't been able to, to be here and especially with COVID um, I couldn't see anybody so I was away from my son for a long time yep. yeah I think that uh, I think that the good things, they uh, they really they make a difference because oh you, totally because you never hear them you never hear them and you you always doubt like am I doing enough like as a parent because I can't like take him out by myself or like you know do certain like pick him up and dance you know like it's just yeah. Um, I don't want him to feel like he's missing out on things, right? But then people kind of will say something to reinforce the positive and kind of give you a reminder that. that are you? Good job. Are you worried that when he starts, when it's time to go back to school or time to go out in the world, and you're not there, are you worried that people will say like, "Are you those things to him about his mom?" Yeah, and and to him too um oh yeah that's right he also has disabilities does yeah and and that is something that weighs heavily on my heart but you know i i feel really confident in the way that i am setting him up to be um very aware of of his needs and how to advocate for his body and himself and uh, he's very confident and and i and, and i'm pretty confident myself so I think that he sees me um we we go through some of the same things and and I think that I hope that uh we'll be able to have some good discussions and and work our way through those things if they or when they come I mean I think you have a real you're in a really unique position to support him as a disabled person and to like teach him about disability in a way that most people don't get taught about it and to teach him that his disabilities don't make him a bad person they don't make him less than they don't make him more than they just make him a person with disabilities so like i think you're in a really unique position to because when i when i was younger like i would come home and an ableist thing would have happened to me and my mom would do her best to support me and she would say you know don't worry, you're like, you're like everybody else. You should do your best. And But I think you, the disabled mom, can take that to another level and be like, I went through the exact same thing. You Literally the exact same thing you went through. I know exactly how that ableism feels like. Here's some language for it. Like I'm sure right now he doesn't know what ableism means, but I'm sure when it's time for him to know, you can totally teach him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't meet another person that had Marfan syndrome or EDS until... I was in my 20s and I'm 26 now. So I was, um, nobody else in my family is disabled and I, I didn't have disabled friends and I didn't really know anybody else 
was disabled, I didn't have that community and I didn't, um, I always just thought as a kid, like it would be so cool to talk to someone else who's like, oh my God, I know what it's like to be in a body cast for six months too. <laughs> like, <laughs> and be bed bound, like laying down flat for six months and or a year. And um, I didn't have that, but I don't know, just to like, like you said, have that shared experience and and um, relate that way, I think is, is really important, it's like that sense of community. Yeah, I think your disability is really, like I said, put you in an extremely unique position to be a mom that can give him tools that no other mom could. Like you really are able to say like, here's what disability feels like and I know too. Whereas when, when you're dealing with a parent that doesn't have disabilities, they do their best and they learn and they think my mom is a rock star and I love her to death for all the things she did for me and continues to do for me. Yeah. But she'll never know what it is to be, to have the disabilities I do. And so to have that bond with him, I think as he gets older, he'll appreciate that more. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I want to shift gears because in part of what you, what you wrote down and what you want to talk about, you wanted to mention that you were also polyamorous and queer. So I wanted to ask, because we don't, we don't hear from a lot of polyamorous disabled people, even though there's a ton of us out there. How does your polyamory play a role in you being disabled and vice versa? Um, well, honestly, when I was younger, I thought it was like this search for like validation or something. I was like, it's really cool to like, ha like be talking to all these people, Dudes. right? And they, yeah. and they like me and I like them, right? And it's like boosts your, your confidence, right? When you're, you're young and you're disabled. And uh, I, uh, as I got older, it grew more into like, it's very much about connection for me um it's that deep meaningful connection that i'm that i'm looking for and um i think that as a disabled person like it's hard to share like the deep intimate parts of your life for like your routine yeah um, you've seen my Instagram you know you know that I get right a little real stuff so I know I love it um yeah so exactly that and and honestly like I had this moment um this year I had brain surgery holy wow I had two this year and wow yeah and I and I woke up and um both my partners were there holding my hands and it was like I've never had that moment before so I was like this is so it's like, so I, special it's so special uh, <laughs> yeah and and people don't get it but it's just um I don't think that having a lot of love when you um in your life when you when you have this kind of life is a bad thing like I I I, I don't think it's wrong at all and, and I I really value like platonic intimacy as well um, with my friends. I, I consider them like love, like all loved ones. And yeah, 
it's more of like a middle ground and less of like a tier. Yep. Yep. I totally agree with that. I'm polyamorous, even though I've never been in a relationship. Like I, I would, if somebody was like, I want to be your boyfriend and I have a husband, I'm like, great. Let's how do we all do this together? Like, like, or maybe I would be included in that, but it's something that I am getting more and more comfortable saying out loud is that I'm polyamorous and I'm also like super disabled, even though I've never been in in a long-term anything with anybody. Um, but yeah, I just think it's so that image of both your partners at the hospital, like being there for you, that just warms my heart <laughs> in so many ways. But it's like it's not normalized at all. So there's definitely yeah. like nurses and doctors that are, you know, glaring and they're like, why are you kissing two people? <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like, well, well, like, first of all, even if they were just my friend and I kissed them, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't need to be turned into this overly romanticized thing why can't we kiss our friends sometimes like you know what i mean yeah um those are all the questions i have for you today this was so fun and so great is there anything is there anything you wanted to share we haven't talked about yet uh no i don't think so this is really great yeah i had such a good time yeah um so my last question to you as we've shifted gears on the show it went from being a sexy podcast to like an everything podcast because there were so many different things I wanted to talk about. So I want to ask you, the motto of the show now is shining a bright light on disability story. So if you could leave the listeners, if you could shine a light on one thing to leave the people listening with today about disability, about all that stuff, what would you want to tell them? I would say every situation is unique and don't, let somebody tell you that being a parent is not a possibility based on the fact that you are disabled. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Amy Miller, how do people get a hold of you? How can they follow your work? Um, my Instagram is rolling through motherhood. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. And then, Rolling through, rolling through motherhood and then is there any other way um, they can oh, reach yeah. out to you? I do have a doula account. It's Amy Miller doula. Um, but I have taken a step back from that right now just to focus on my health because I did just get out of a lengthy hospital stay and I'm working towards homeschooling my son, but I'm always available for like consultation or support over the phone text. Um, or chat i'm just not doing any like births or anything right now awesome that's i think that's super great and i'll make sure that all that stuff is in the the show notes and that you are totally supported when when it comes out because the work you're doing is sorely needed and not done enough so i really really appreciate that you at 26 no less when i was 26 i had no idea what the fuck i want to do at 26 no less you're like just that's really great so i'm really really i love that we sat down today together um and just thank you so much Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Anytime. I'd love to have you back anytime. (laughs) Okay. Well, I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Amy. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. This has been another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. 
I'm of course your host, Andrew Gerza, your number one queer cripple and your disabled Dick Smith. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on all social media at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. We'd love to have you as a guest so you can shine a bright light on your disability story. If you want to support the show and get the show one day early along with ad-free versions of the show and a cool shout-out, you can head over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast Shining a Bright Light on Disability Story. We'll see you next time. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020